You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. On series today, I want to jump right in and talk with you uh, about this subject of baseball. Baseball. A little boy was walking across his backyard as he's tossing a ball into the air, toting his bat and had his cap on his head, saying, I'm the greatest hitter that ever lived. And as he tossed the ball into the air, he swung at it and he missed it. Strike one, he said. And he picked the ball up again and repeated, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Tossing the ball back into the air, it came down, he swung again. Strike two, he said. The boy paused a moment to look at his bat. He looked at his ball, carefully spit in his hands and rubbed it together, straightened his cap up and once more said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he tossed his ball in the air again. He swung, strike three, he said. Wow, he exclaimed. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. (laughs) We Christians have got a lot to learn from this young boy. Because he was able to roll with the punches. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world when it didn't really work out. He says, perhaps I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. And I want to tell you that um, there's times where we're doing things and we're trying hard and we're even saying things and it's not working out and we just throw our hands up and quit. This guy just changed gears and said, I'm not the greatest hitter, but I'm the greatest pitcher. Now that's a small little story, but it'll help you and I believe it'll help me. As a Christian, we too have got to work hard at what we've been given. We don't, did you know, when, when you and I, let me just use baseball, and I'm going to allude to it a lot during this message this morning, but when we step up to the plate, and, and I want you to know, in order to step up to the plate, you've got to get in the game. Uh, the good thing about it is this, that God's not going to call anybody out. How many of you remember when you was in school, you ain't got to raise your hand, but you were kind of like the last person picked on the team, and maybe the, the, the captain says, do I really got to take him? You might be like uh, Squince Polidorus on Sandlot, the L7 weenie, that did not know how to catch a baseball. Are you with me? But God says, hey, I can use you on my team. You might have to start out as the water boy or the bat boy or girl, but I can use you on my team. And God's not going to call anybody else and make you feel like you can't be used in the kingdom of the Lord. Here's what you've got to understand, though. There, there's a number of things, and I put myself so many notes, uh, I, I can't use them all or you'd be here till 5 o'clock. But, but nonetheless, there is this field called the baseball field, the diamond. And that is where uh, it's chalked, it's manicured, it's pretty. In fact, it's some of the prettiest um, uh, lawn care, field care you'll ever see is go to a professional baseball game and watch the, the way they manicure that field. You'd think they'd gone to a nail shop. Y'all with me? Because if it rains too much, they'll roll a tarp out as big as the infield or bigger. That's right. And they'll try to protect it. Man, they'll do all kind of stuff. And they'll pretty that thing up. I don't care how scarred up and nasty it looks. They're going to make it look right between innings. I'm telling you, they'll do it quick. But, but then there's a place over here called the dugout. And that's kind of where the team hangs out. 
Now, I know they got a clubhouse and all that, but, but, but this is when you come down for game day. I mean, you're here, maybe you've signed a few autographs, but there you are, and then there's a circle outside the deck. It's called the On Deck Circle. And then you move further toward the plate, and on either side of the plate, there is a box. It's called the Batter's Box. That's where you stand in. Are you ready? And you get ready to take your cut. Here you are, and you're waiting on the pitch. Now, I want to tell you something. Life has a way of throwing some wicked pitches. Amen? Now, uh, I, I, I'll never forget watching different players. I never understood. Man, I mean, they would sling this fastball 100 miles an hour. And like, oh, man, hardly nobody can catch up to it. And then... They would mess right around and throw a knuckleball 47 miles an hour. Are you with me? And the guy swung an hour before the ball got there. Well, you understand what I'm saying. And then they would come and, and do some sinker that would just come straight and whoop. I'm thinking, how do you make the thing? There's no steering wheel on the ball. How do you make the thing just all of a sudden sink out? How do you make it just go and then curve? And these guys can throw it. I have to look at them and say, man, there's something else about you because, you know, you're talking to that ball somehow. I don't know. I can't do it. Are you with me? But, but nonetheless, when you stand in the box, guess what? He may throw you something that you can hit. He may throw you something illegal. Maybe it's off the plate, called a ball. He may even balk and not get caught. That's when they start to make their motion and, and to, to pitch and then decide to do something else. And there's a lot of ways in which to balk. I learned that and I don't have time to explain it. But nonetheless, um, he may decide to throw to first base. Um, now, if it's your lucky day and the stars really do align, he may throw just what you're looking for and you get that swing just at the right angle and bye-bye. Are you with me? And I mean, you sail it right out of the stadium and perhaps there's even three guys on base and you've just now hit a grand slam and the whole place is going crazy, especially if it's the bottom of the ninth and you're at home. Are you with me? Say amen. So, on the other hand, you may be standing there waiting on the heat and get it right on your elbow or right on your knee. And... Uh, you still got to go. I mean, you, you, you get to, some people go to the pitcher's mound, but you're supposed to go to first base. <laughs> Are you with me? So, but, but I'm sure there's plenty of little boys that walk through their yard throwing the ball up. I'm the greatest hitter, or I'm the greatest pitcher. And all. What I'm simply saying is, friends, Paul the Apostle said to us in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, he says, Do not those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize. What Paul is trying to tell us, he's not talking about baseball, he's talking about a race, a foot race, but he says, play to win. <clears throat> Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for a prize is, is, is temperate in all things. In other words, they can control themselves. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. That's a crown that's going to fade away. These trophies that we won the other day, they're going to one day fade away. He said, but we, in other words, on our team, we do what we do for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this way. 
not with uncertainty. Thus I fight. In other words, this is the way I fight. Not as one who is beating into the air, but I discipline my body. And I bring my body into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself would become disqualified. So Paul says, I go to conditioning. Right now, we're looking at football because, well, there's baseball going on right now as well. But, but for we football addicts, uh, and we're keeping up with our favorite college teams and their spring training and how that's going and who's shaping up and who's shipping out. Are y'all with me? And, and they're doing both. <laughs> get, don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, is they're conditioning themselves right now. It is hot as blue blazes right now. But they're conditioning and they're strengthening themselves right now. You know why? There's going to come a time in the fall when it's going to be great adversity. And you have fought. And you're in the fourth quarter. And there's five minutes left in the game. And you're down a touchdown. Or maybe ten points. And we need somebody that's got enough gas to go. The only way they can do that is to condition themselves through this hot and this heat. So let me say this. When you're going through something very difficult and very hard. Now this is, amen, spring training for football as well as training for baseball. Whatever it is, you're going through that hardship so that you can perform in the moment. There's going to come moments when you are next up to bat. I, I look at some time, I was watching a, a throwback game of LSU and someone the other day, and back from, uh, I can't remember when it was, it was way back in the day, 86, 87, and uh, they were playing Florida, by the way, and won. And then, anyway, but uh, I remember it was getting down to the end of the game, and I'm looking at the place kicker. And all of a sudden, when, they, when LSU got in territory where they could possibly, potentially go ahead, with a field goal, I saw him start pacing. <laughs> you know why? I know what I'd be praying. Oh, Lord, let, let the running back make it. Lord, let him get through. Let a wide receiver catch this thing. Don't let this whole game hang on my shoulders. Uh, you know, uh, on 49 yards or something like that. Lots of pressure. But I'm saying this. You train, and listen, you will play like you practice. You lay out all the time. You don't ever come to practice. You know, first of all, if the coach tolerates it, uh, when you get in a game, you're going to play just like you practice. Same way in church. If you flippantly, you know, you come to church and you're playing sort of something down on your phone, you ain't taking no notes. You just don't even know what the preacher said. Guess what? You're going to get in a situation where the rubber meets the road and you ain't going to know what to do. <clears throat> oh, Lord, I wish I'd have been listening. So listen, if you don't have some dreams, if you don't have some goals in life, this young boy that I'm talking about throwing his ball into the air and you know, looking at the bat, he had some dreams, he had some goals. Here's what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I press toward my goal for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen, God has called me onto his team. Amen. And I know more than ever that, you know something, I, there's nothing I love doing more than what I'm doing right now. Nothing I love doing more than teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have come to understand that, that my number one deal that God has called me to do is to train other men and women to do ministry, not just necessarily do this. This is the easiest part of my ministry. 
preaching. I'm not talking about getting the message. There's a lot of hard, grueling work in getting the message. But I'm going to tell you, my heart is in training young men, young women, old men, old women. That there's a, What is it that we need to do? The Bible tells me that I am to train people up in the way. Well, equipping them is what the term you would have heard uh, to equip the saints of God for works of ministry. In, in, in Hebrews 12 and 1, he says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares us, and let us run the, with endurance this race that is set before us. Let me say this. If you're a football player or a baseball player, and the coach says, You know what? You need to lay off some of that apple pie. You need to lay off of them cigarettes because you can't breathe like you ought to believe, believe Breathe and it's killing you and making us smell bad. Y'all with me? You don't need to be getting in fights and ruining your reputation and this university's reputation. And your whole life hangs in the balance. Your scholarship is in the balance. And you know what? Every year without fail, some college kid throws it all away. Was given every golden opportunity you could dream of. Let me say this. Baseball is a game. And, and it is. And, and sometimes they said it was America's pastime. And it may still be. I mean, American, uh, the America's game. And, and America is as um, baseball and apple pie, they say. In fact, in Chicago, they always sing, take me out to the ball game. I wish I had that old fella here. He'd just sing it for us, but I better not. But let me tell you what uh, Tom Lasorda said. Tommy Lasorda, you remember watching him coach the Dodgers? He says there are three types of base players, uh, baseball players. He said there are those who make it happen, those who watch it happen, those who wonder what happened. I thought to myself, that's the way it is in church. Some are making it happen. huh? Some are saying what happened, and, and some don't have a clue. Amen. And some watch it, uh, some make it, and some just don't know. But today I want to share with you, if I may, what um, Dick Stewart said. They called him Stone Fingers. The first baseman for the Phillies, the Pirates, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Red Sox in the 60s. He said this, eras are part of my image. Some of y'all ought to like baseball now. Eras are part of my image. He said, one night in Pittsburgh with 30,000 fans there, they gave me a standing ovation when I caught a hot dog wrapper on the fly. <laughs> you, you see, we all make mistakes. We all make errors. Fortunately, because of the Lord and what He's done, they don't have to be permanent. You see, uh, baseball is not mentioned in the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Sports are. I mean, not by, not by the name of sport itself, but, but the illustrations I give you. I just want to make, if I may, a few observations. Three. Number one is this. We are on a team, so be a team player. Y'all with me? We are on a team, so be a team player. Um, that's what it is. When you go to, I love going to games, whether it's the Braves game, whether it's the Wildcats, whatever it is, I like to go. Normally when I go, I'm decked out. I go to a Wildcat game, I got a Wildcat hat, Wildcat shirt. Y'all with me? I go to a Tigers game. I got on Tiger stuff. I went to see the Tigers play the Bulldogs in Sanford Stadium. They wasn't but a handful of us purple and gold there. I stood out like a sore thumb in the end zone. Y'all with me? Say amen. I heard all kind of good language. But uh, anyway, um, 
nonetheless, we're on the same team, so uh, we need to be a, a, a player. Secondly, we've got a coach, and so we've got to listen to him. Thirdly, you're going to get hurt. Play anyway. Okay, let's deal with it. We're on a team. So be a team player. Let me say this. Most of us have discovered that all things do work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And we have found out that we work better when we work with each other. We work better when we work with each other. It applies to home, work, business, church. Brothers and sisters, we're not playing the game of life by ourselves. We are on a team. We're in this together. So be a team player. It doesn't make a difference whether you're the pitcher, whether you're the catcher, whether you're a baseman or a fielder. Whatever it is, we are in this thing together. The pitcher cannot win it. The quarterback cannot win it by himself. Are you all with me? And I know uh, oftentimes the pitcher gets a lot of credit, but I'm going to tell you this. That no-hitter that, that he thinks he's going to pitch... He's not going to pitch that no-hitter unless these other eight guys catch some outs. Or stop some balls coming through the infield and throw some outs. It's just not going to happen. You've got to have the whole team. Likewise, in the church, we have to have the team. For us to do the ministry that we do, it cannot be just a select handful of people. It doesn't make any difference whether you're the pastor, the elder, the deacon, the teacher, the pianist, uh, organist, whatever it is, it takes a lot of people on the team. Let us therefore, Romans says, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak, the falterings of the weak, not to please ourselves. In other words, I've seen people so eager to kick somebody off the team because they messed up. That's all well and good until you mess up. I've had people come quickly to tell me about other people's failings and shortcomings and not so quick when they failed and came short. Are you hearing me say, man, every one of us wants grace? Let me say, we are our brother's keeper. We are to do things that help. We're to do things that bless. I'm going to tell you something. You would be blessed if you did this. If you have an alt against a person, first of all, you go fix that as best humanly possible. The Bible says, as much as life in you, live at peace with all men and women. Are you with me? Live at peace with everybody. If there's an issue, try to fix that issue. Um, bless, build up, encourage. Be happy for someone else for a change. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're happy for somebody else because God has blessed them, your time is coming. There are people who live with this entitlement mentality. Everybody else always gets the blessings. They get the new car. They get the new house. They've got the pretty wife. They got the best this. They got that. Listen, quit poor mouthing and get in the game. We're on the same team. In 1886, at a state fair, they decided to, to do a pull contest with mules. So they took a mule and they, um, they, they hooked up weight to him. He pulled 14,000 pounds. The next mule they hooked um, uh, the, the, the load to pulled 13,000 pounds. And so had, somebody had this idea. So well, you know what? If the first place winner could pull 14 and the second place winner pulled 13, let, let's hook them together and see if they can both together pull 27. You know what? They pulled 35,000 pounds team together. That means no matter what you can do by yourself and no matter what you can do by yourself, if we will hitch up and team together, we can do exponentially more together than we could alone.
So not only do we have a team, so you need to be a team player, we got a coach, so listen to him. I lost a lot of respect for Brett Favre in the latter years after he retired four times or ever how many times. I can't remember his coach, but his coach, the Vikings coach. I'll never forget watching the game, and I wanted Brett to go back. I wanted him to win the Super Bowl one more time, but it wasn't to be. It didn't happen that way. I'll never forget when his coach was tired of it and, and knowing it was the latter part of a game, and he's like, hey, it's just time to come out, and he pulled him to put in the backup quarterback, and Brett wouldn't leave the field. They had words on the side, and he went right back out there. Now, I don't know if I would have just called security and said, get him out of here, period. Because you don't talk to your coach that way. If the coach says, when Bobby Cox would walk to the mound with the baseball, or reach his hand out for the baseball from the pitcher, the pitcher had better hand him the baseball. That's just how it goes. Because he would already look to the bullpen, he would ask the bullpen coach to send the next guy, and that guy's headed out there, and whoever's pitching is leaving one way or the other. I like Bobby Cox. You know why I like him? Because people say, Bobby, Bobby, because when he would stand up for his players. If he believed you were safe, he was going to argue till he got thrown out. And I just wanted to see him get thrown out. <laughs> if I believed the call was right, I was like, man, just keep fighting till you get to the shower. Cause, and they would, they'd throw him out. And he, as a matter of fact, he won the title as the most ejected coach in baseball. I watched him just to see him get ejected. But I like a coach that would stand up for his players. I'll tell you something. Players like a coach that will stand up for them too. But you cannot disrespect the coach. It, it, you might not agree with him, but he's still the coach. Are you hearing me? Let, let, that, uh, enough about that. Brothers and sisters, let me say this. It pays to listen to the coach. They are not where they are by happenstance or just by chance. They have been where you are. They've been in the trenches. They've lived it. They, they have been there. And so, you know what? We've got to give deference to them. And they might mess up. But if they mess up and take you out the lineup and it don't work out, it's on them. It ain't on you. So you be humble. And you submit to the coach. So listen, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, that's who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many people say, coach, you're the greatest coach there is. But they don't truly listen to the coach. They, they don't do what he says. Many say, oh, Jesus, you're the Lord of lords. You're the greatest. You're, you're the Son of the living God. But they don't do what he says. Their faith is very flippant at best. And a farce at worst. There are those who call on the name of the Lord. There are those who say, I, oh, I, I go to the harbor. I go to First Baptist or I do this or whatever. Let me say this. If your life is not a life of Christian example, then you're just playing the game. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman. On a very busy boulevard, suddenly the light turned yellow. Just in front of him was a crosswalk, so he did the right thing. He put on the brakes and he stopped at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection like Mike would have done. The tailgating woman right behind him hit the roof and her horn just beating and screaming because she had missed her chance to get through the intersection. She was still in a mid-ramp when she heard the tap on the window. She looked into the face of a very serious police officer. The police officer ordered her to exit the car. 
He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a cell. A couple of hours later, however, a policeman approached the cell door, opened it, he escorted her back to the looking desk where she was, the arresting officer was there with all of her personal effects. He handed her her possessions and he said to her, I'm very sorry for the mistake. He said, you see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in front of you, cussing a blue streak at him, and I noticed the Choose Life license plates you had, and the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk, and naturally I assumed that you had stolen the car. Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? That is a picture of many Christians today. Live any kind of way. Talk any kind of way. Tell any kind of lie to get their tail out of a jam. Oh, Whatever happened to integrity and doing what the Word of God said do? If you have to just flat be honest and say, you know what, I'm sorry. But I made that mistake, and I'm human, and I just take... I'm telling you, I've got more tolerance for somebody that'll do that than somebody that'll lie all the way to the bank. Amen? So, last but not least, is we may get hurt, so play anyway. I'll tell you a quick story. Lou Gehrig, uh, he was called the Iron Man of Baseball for 15 years in the 20s and the 30s. He played first base for the Yankees. 2,130 consecutive games after he had retired they x-rayed both of his hands and found that every single finger had been broken how is it that he played all the games he never missed a game all his fingers had been broken digging them out you know what I'm saying doing all those things you know why he played hurt he played hurt and I'm going to tell you something you hear me when I tell you in this thing called ministry And not just a professional minister, not somebody just on staff, but in Christian walk. Sometimes you are going to play hurt. That's just how it is. I wish I could stop all the hurt. I wish I could make it to where this person wouldn't offend that one, but I've even quit trying. There's too many people to keep up with. All I can do is say, listen, I get hurt too. Let's look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's understand that they hurt Jesus too. And that you and I are no better than our Lord. That'll sink in before you get home. Obviously, we've got to go on living. It's a guarantee. You are going to get hurt in this game called life. You are. And I'm comparing it to a baseball game. Uh, Experience uh, says you're going to get hurt. Paul said this, I got hurt. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and 11, he said, To this very hour we go hungry, we're thirsty, in rags, brutally treated, homeless. We've worked hard with our own hands. We've been cursed, but we bless. We've been persecuted, but we endure it. We've been slandered, but we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. But thanks be to God. Huh? But thank God anyway that He called me. And that I'm worthy, uh, found worthy to be beaten for his name's sake. That, that he called me and put me in his game. And Paul says, to, uh, let me put it in my words, to allow me to play even after I persecuted the church. These words don't sound like Paul was having a great day, fun time in life. 
We don't want to go around hungry and thirsty. We don't want to wear rags. We, we, we don't want to be uh, spoken badly of and brutally handled and treated and homeless. Jesus said it like this. You don't believe you're going to get hurt? Listen to the creator of the ends of the earth. Listen to the one that was there when he said, let there be light and there was light. Listen to the one that said, let grass come forth and cover the earth. Listen to the one that was there when it all happened. Listen to the one that was seated in majesty beside his father. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus suffered the homelessness while in this flesh. He suffered even more than that. Listen, let me say this to you. Matthew 10 and 24, Jesus said, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Uh, listen, a player is not above his coach. Let me say this, what, what Jesus is saying, if I've endured homelessness, if I've endured the spitting in my face, if I've endured the slap and the plucking of my beard, if I've endured the shame and the ridicule, if I've endured all of this, surely you can too. I've called you to play. Here, here's what Paul would write to his young protege, Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Most people do not know what a good soldier really does endure. But they endure sometimes months in the field. Sometimes months eating MREs, meals ready to eat. I'm not talking about steak and, you know, T-bone and macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm talking about stuff you put a little bit of water on it blows up. Are y'all hearing me? Knowing what it's like to be separated from their home. Knowing what it's like to be in the field and be in, in, in harm's way. People shooting at them. Uh, and then to come home and this country treat them like a dog. Mm, don't get me started on this veteran stuff. Mm. Since we are the soldiers of the cross and we are playing the game of life, we've got to expect a certain amount of hardship. Let me say this. When I got into this thing, when God called me, I, it, my mother cried when I called home and said I was called to preach. I wondered why, why, why would she be crying? I, of course, I was ignorant of all the hardship, but she wasn't. She knew what lay ahead or what lie ahead. We must endure. Let me say this as uh, I, I tie this up. Ty Cobb, considered by many the greatest baseball player of all time, played 3,033 games for 12 years. He led the American League in the batting average. For four years, he batted over 400 on his deathbed on July 17th of 1961 at the age of 74 years old. It is reported that he accepted Christ as a Savior. I don't have personal validation of that, but I want to share the story. He said, you tell the boys I'm sorry that it was the last part of the ninth that I came to know Christ. I wish it had taken place in the first half of the first. See, there's a time when the game's going to end. And it's not going to matter if you hit a double or single or home run, whatever. What will matter is what you did with Jesus. John Richardson was the pastor of the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Atlanta when he received a request from a friend to visit an interesting man in the hospital in 1961. And Ty Cobb was one of the most famous players in history, yet he was dying of cancer. 
Tycom was uh, known as a particularly rough character. He told stories about fights that he had gotten into in his younger years, and it was reputed that he even killed a man when his gun wouldn't fire, that he beat him to death. I don't know if there's truth in it, but that's the story. Cobb had a pistol, but the gun wouldn't fire. The men stabbed him in the back, but he didn't stop until he had beaten him to death with the gun. He was known as the meanest man in baseball in spite of his impressive record. A lifetime batting average of 366 over 24 years and 3,000 plus games. No one particularly liked him. He was the first man voted to the Baseball Hall of Fame, but only three players attended his funeral. But things began to look different at the end of his life. Cobb looked over his life and realized that he was neither good or happy. Still holds the record for stealing home with 54 runs. But he seemed to understand that there was nothing for him to steal at the end of his life. And yet there's good news for Ty Cobb. Even the meanest of men, no matter what they've done, can be saved by the love and the power of Jesus Christ. His doctor, one of the first to share the Lord's story with love with him in his last days, Dr. William Nesbitt, couldn't bring a physical cure, but he led Cobb to a spiritual cure, and this is what he wrote. Over the years when I'd visit, Cobb would ask me to read the Bible and I'd pray with him. I recognized his spiritual hunger, evident in his attentiveness to God's Word. I felt that God had given me a unique opportunity. Some of Cobb's requested passages were Psalm 91, Isaiah 53, 1 Corinthians 13. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and yet have not love, it profits me nothing. It seemed to convict him. John Richardson, the pastor who visited Cobb, shared the good news of Jesus with him, and he wrote this in Christianity Today magazine. On the first visit, Ty wasn't up to talking. He asked if we'd come back later. I quickly read a passage of scripture and prayed for his welfare. Two days later, I returned to find that the Holy Spirit had been working in his heart. I explained that God's plan of salvation and the need for repentance. He replied that he wished to put his complete trust in Christ. On subsequent visits, Ty was eager to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Two days before his death, I paid my last call. I feel the strong, excuse me, two days before his death, I paid my last call and Ty says, and I quote, I feel the strong arms of God underneath me, Ty said. It was wonderful to be able to pray, tell the folks they did not, excuse me, tell, the, tell folks they should not wait as I did until a crisis comes before they learn how to pray. Last week we talked about the calling of our Lord. It is a call to salvation. It is a call to forgiveness and reconciliation. It is a call to a dramatic change. For Ephesians says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Today I've talked with you about life as a baseball game. As you stand with me, I want you to know that there are those who are sitting in the bleachers you're not in the game. And I want you to know, you hear me when I tell you this, we are living in perilous times. We are living in the last days. We need all hands on deck. We need every person that is willing to get in the game, in the game. If you look around you today, on the week that I knew there would be scores of people gone doing their last little shindig as school has started back, a full house 
We're en route to two services. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to pull the trigger on it, but we're working hard, avidly. Listen, that means we've got to double a lot of positions in the church. And I want you to know, when we, when we sign on to do work in the church, you're not signing on. Just, it's not about pleasing me or helping me. It's about pleasing Him. It's about serving Him. I'm going to tell you, I don't know of anything that I wouldn't do for the Lord. The answer is yes. If I, listen, if I couldn't find my calling right here and I, I try this and it's not that, you know what? I don't go back to the bleachers. I go back to the coach and say, you know what, coach? That didn't work out so good right there, but I'm willing to try something else. Maybe that didn't work out, but I'm willing to try something else. The bottom line is this. There is a place on the team. There's a place. So here's the deal. I want to pray right now for those who are in the bleachers that need to get on board. And then I want to pray for those who like tie. Maybe you're not at the end of your life and a bad diagnosis and two days before you die. But maybe you lived a hard life just like Ty lived a hard life. But even the hardest, meanest man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you're strong, I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. It's going to bring radical change. When you accept Christ in your heart, it's going to be a radical change. But the grace of God is sufficient for you. He can forgive even you. You might not be able to forgive yourself yet. Somebody else may not be able to forgive you, but He can. So I want to pray for you right now. And with this crowd like it is, there's no way we'll have the room to put everybody here. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you this. If you're on the bleachers and you say, Pastor, I'm going to get in the game. Would you slip your hand up and write back down, I'm going to get in the game. All right, I'm going to get in the game. Now, I need one of my staff members to do something for me. I need you to put me a sign-up sheet at the Connection Center before we dismiss. It simply says, I'm going to get in the game. And let people sign up as they leave here. That's your next step. If you're signing right now, if you're here and you're saying, I'm going to get in the game, I'm going to put your feet to the fire. You're going to sign up at the Connection Center. And somebody's going to call you and let's find out if you really want to get in the game. I'm going to pray for you because God wants you somewhere. Somewhere God wants you. Now you're here, heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. And you say, Pastor... I need what Ty Cobb got. I need what Ty got. He was a rough man and mean. I'm not saying that you're mean, but you might be just lost. You might be the sweetest lost person out there. But you're still lost. Can't go to heaven lost. If you're here and you say, Pastor, please pray for me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.